0: I'd like you to open your Bibles this morning with me to the New Testament book of Matthew as we're going to be continuing in a sermon series called It's All About Jesus. It's a sermon series that follows the life of our Lord and Savior from the manger to his ministry. And last week we celebrated baptism here at our church because that's where we were in the life of Christ. He had come to John the Baptist to be baptized. And in our chronological story of the life of Jesus, I find there is no coincidence between the fact that Jesus was baptized and he immediately faces temptation. Many of God's people have had similar experiences right after conversion, right after we come to Christ, or right after We say, you know what, we need to get, we're going to get more involved right after a significant spiritual event. That's precisely when a certain level of of our victory seems to be met by temptations that are coming stronger than ever. It seems to be the time when we draw closer to God that Satan wants to try harder to pull us back into his world. We often think about Jesus and we think rightfully so as Him as the Son of God, but, but sometimes we forget that human side of Jesus. We forget sometimes that He was flesh and bone, that, that He was emotion and learning, that He was wonder and caring, that Jesus was skinned knees as a kid in tears, and Jesus was hugs from his mom. See, this human side of Jesus is the side that you and I can relate to in our times of struggle. And it's that side that we need to relate to that that demonstrates that the moments that we face, we're not facing them alone. We're not facing them for the first time. And we don't have a Savior that doesn't know what we're going through. We have a Savior that knows exactly what we're going through the ones that we know that the Lord is leading us away from, these temptations, it's the, the same ones that, like the devil's here on our shoulder, right? And, and, and he's there anyway, telling us, hey, it's all about your wants and desires, right? He's like, hey, it's okay. But that's not the life that we need to be living as Christians. That's not the life that we aim to live. Satan's going to tell us, "Hey, it's all about you." The life of the Christian says, it's all about Jesus." In the book of Hebrews in chapter two and verse 16, the author writes, "We also know that the Son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. See, we live in a culture that likes to tell us that it's okay to have exactly what we want. That tells us it's okay to give in to our temptations. And the devil may tempt... The devil does tempt, but here's something really important. The devil never makes us do anything. What we do is our own choice. Only we are accountable for our actions. We might say that we don't agree with the teachings of the Bible. We might say that, that, you know what, I'm going to take some of the Bible and I'm going to leave some of it because I don't believe that. We don't have to believe it, but we're still accountable for it we still have to understand that there are guidelines for our lives. We are accountable. We can't say that it's somebody else's fault, because it's not anyone else's fault, right? There was a lady once who had a habit of shopping and spending way too much money, a lot more than she had. And she would spend money so much that she would end up putting the household's finances in jeopardy. And one day she came home with this beautiful blue dress. She came home, she put it on, and showed her husband, and her husband just shook his head. And he says, wow, don't you know that we can't afford that? What are you doing? She says, I I tried not to buy it, but the devil made me do it. And then the husband says, well, why didn't you just shout, get behind me, Satan? And she says, well, I did. And he told me it looks good from back there, too. <laughs> See, temptation is always going to be there. But we serve a God who can help us overcome our temptation. Amen. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 11 in a message that I have titled Overcoming Human Weakness. All three of the synoptic gospels that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke they all present this narrative of the moments right after the baptism of Jesus. They present this narrative as when the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness. And we're going to read from Matthew chapter four, starting in verse number two. Starting in verse number one, rather. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and he became very hungry. Now, I want to hone in on a couple of important points here in the first two verses. One, we see that Jesus is led by the Spirit. He's not here being led by the devil. Jesus is going out to fast. He is going on a religious retreat of sorts. He is spending alone time with God. He is fasting. This is something that people will do to come closer to God. Separate from the world. Separate from desires. Fast. Be with God. So the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness. Jesus is in the wilderness and he's away from life and he's got his sights set on the Father. See, there are times in our life when God leads us somewhere. God might lead us somewhere quiet. You know, when God leads us and it's you and God walking along, if you were to turn around See who's behind you. Satan's following, right? Satan's following the Holy Spirit and Jesus out into the desert. He's waiting for a moment to pounce. He might be there until we're all by ourselves to pray on our weakness. See, Jesus, He was all alone in the wilderness. There are times when you and I are all alone in our wilderness. Isn't it fair to say alone in the wilderness is when we're in our weakest moments and it's this time when we're most vulnerable there's no accountability satan knows that he can he can get us to fail at times when he just tells us you know what it's okay no one's looking no one will know nobody's here as christians though we know that somebody is always here right our Father in heaven is always with us. We can't hide. Satan knows our weaknesses. And the, and the Bible gives list after list of difficulties that we are going to face in our lives. And John wraps this lesson up really well in 1 John in verses, uh, verse two sixteen, chapter 2, verse 16, where the apostle writes this, he says, "'For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, "'a craving for everything we see, "'and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. See, John is telling us that there are three vices that we need to recognize that are not from God. These are 100% worldly. These three are the same forms that Jesus dealt with out in the wilderness. First, he mentions a craving for physical pleasure. I want you to imagine a fisherman out on a lake if he's fishing for a catfish he's going to use a certain kind of bait but if he's fishing for trout he's going to pull up that hook he's going to take off his catfish bait he's going to put on another kind of bait satan has different types of bait when he's fishing for us he might tell us that you know it's okay because it's going to make us feel good that's a Physical pleasure. And if for some reason that bait doesn't work, Satan's going to put on another one. John says it's called the craving for everything we see. It's the temptation of the eyes. It's a temptation for wanting what we don't have and lacking the ability to be satisfied with what the Lord has provided us with. And finally, John mentions that the world will use this other bait to hook us. John calls this one the pride in our achievements and our possessions. Having this pride is not from God, but it is of the world. There's so many dangerous situations that that come into our lives due to pride growing in an ungodly heart. It's this lust for recognition. And for for gathering wealth and gathering worldly things that Satan loves to dangle out there in front of us. See, Jesus was on a 40-day fast. There's no biblical indication that this is supernatural. But rather, there, there is indications that his, his human side, that, that Jesus, as a human, not eaten in 40 days, was very hungry. The Bible tells us he was hungry. No doctor in our modern age would recommend a 40-day fast. There were people in the Bible who did. And if you're like me and you start to fast, you're going to get to about day three, and that hunger is going to kick in hard. Hunger is a powerful influence on our actions. And that's just one physical condition that can direct our actions. Let me pick up the action in Matthew 4, verse number 3. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No. The scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I think it would be fair enough to say that if you had the power to turn rocks into bread and you hadn't eaten in 40 days, that those rocks just might be looking real tasty about now. See, Jesus was fasting. It was a connection with God the Father. If he were to break that fast in order to satisfy hunger, he's giving in to the temptation, right? It's not simply hunger that's a physical temptation. It's that time when you're out of town and you're staying at that hotel and you know that no one's going to know what movie that is that you're ordering. Or it's that time when you're reminded that you've been married for years and that... And that you've been good in your marriage and Satan tells you that, you know what, one night with that person who keeps looking at you at work, like, that's not going to hurt anything. And it's that time when there's no one around and the house is empty and you're by yourself and you can watch anything on your phone that you want because no one is around. Point number one in your notes this morning. Surrendering to physical temptation puts our love for our body above our love for God. Surrendering to physical temptations puts our love for our body above our love for God. And I know that sounds harsh, but but let's be really blunt for a moment. Do we deep down have any question about what God has asked of us physically and what He demands us to stay away from in the Bible? The Bible makes it very clear. Through the scriptures, there are so many detailed lessons on physical situations. It's not a gray area. It's, it's not a, well, I, I read the Bible this way situation. I, I, I interpret it this way. These types of lessons are very black and white. It's not a gray area. We can't justify our physical sins when we fail and we fall to the temptations outside of biblical principles. There is no way around the fact that these moments are simply us putting ourselves above God. I can't find any scripture in the Bible where God gives us a past night, a past moment, an okay moment. We see people fall to physical temptation all over the Bible, and we see their consequences. Judas gave up Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Esau gave away his birthright for a bowl of stew. Adam and Eve gave in to physical temptation for a piece of fruit. What temptations are we trading for Jesus? Jesus. An old deacon used to pray at a Wednesday night Bible study. Every, every week he would pray, and at the end of his prayer, he would, he would say, "And Lord, please clean up all the spider webs in my life. And, and, and he's referring to those things during the week that, that shouldn't have been there in his life, but had gathered in during the week. And it got too much for another deacon in the meeting. And the next week when the old man prayed again, that was it. The second guy couldn't take it any longer. So when the first man got to the prayer and and he jumped up and he said, Lord, clean up all the spider webs out of my life. The other deacon stand up and he said, Lord, don't do it. He says, don't just clean the spider webs. Kill the spider. He says, that's what needs to happen. 1 Corinthians 10.13, it says this, The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptations to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, He will show you that there is a way out so that you can endure. The temptations of the flesh are some of the most difficult to overcome because many of them are not simply physical A lot of these temptations we're dealing with mentally, we're dealing with psychologically. We have this will to satisfy our own desires, but do we have the will to satisfy God's own desires for us? There are times when we even let temptation win without even recognizing that we're stepping into an area that God doesn't want us to be in. And that's when we're so far removed from where he wants us to be. But as we come closer to Christ, we start to recognize this place that I used to go on a regular basis, maybe that's not where I should be, right? Someone once said that one half the trouble of this life can be traced to saying yes too quick, and the other half to not saying no soon enough. When we allow our bodies to make decisions for us we are actually taking the directional authority away from god in our lives and giving that authority to our sinful flesh jesus told satan that man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes out of the mouth of god if our physical actions were to follow the words that god has given us in his scriptures would we find ourselves eliminating situations from our life that we currently partake in when no one is looking? If we let God control all of our bodily actions, are there changes that would be made? Here's the application to this point. Jesus knows what we're going through and he's here to help. Are we bringing our struggles with temptation to God in prayer? When we pray for the healing power of the Holy Spirit to come and help us with this temptation, He will help. Will it be immediate that we can walk away from all the addictions and all the physical poor choices that we're making? Maybe not. But will it be immediate that the Holy Spirit will take up a spot in our hearts and start to help separate us from our physical temptations? Absolutely. You ask for help. You ask for wisdom. He'll be there. Doesn't it take a little bit of time? it takes some time it starts with recognition because the next time that you feel temptation and you start to walk towards the bottle and you get that uneasy feeling saying are are you sure that you want to do this that's the holy spirit's help that's his help right there some of us have a strong ability to walk away and a stronger ability than others But Jesus can help all of us overcome our temptations 100%. Abilities themselves can even be temptations. Some of us think that everything that we know how to do is good to do. And it's not always the right move in every situation. Come back with me to Matthew, chapter 4, verse number 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said... If you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot against a stone. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Point number two in your notes this morning. Just because we have the God-given ability doesn't mean that we have God-given permission. Just Because we have the God-given ability to do something doesn't mean that we have the God-given ability or or God-given permission to do it. Jesus had the ability to jump off of that roof He had the ability to jump off of the temple and Satan was pushing buttons telling him. Hey, it's okay You know you can do this Come on. You know you can do this He could do it, right? But in this case, he's being pushed to do it, and that's temptation. Because that's not what God wants him to do. That's what Satan wants him to do, right? And Jesus tells him, no, you don't test God. I can't test God. Yes, I can do it, but God hasn't given me permission to use my talents and my abilities in that way. That's not what my gifts are for. They're not here to show off. They're not here for me to jump off a building, and what happens is now everyone down at the bottom just saw the Messiah jump off the building. Imagine how our gospel is written now. That changes the whole story, right? All of us have gifts, we all have abilities, and sometimes we, we become really good at our skills, and sometimes we become proud of our abilities, and we, we don't even think about the fact that we're, we're using these abilities simply for something that we know how to do, but are we doing it for God? are we using our gifts to satisfy our own prideful selves sometimes see God doesn't give us our gifts and abilities for ourself he doesn't give it to us to hold on to is your gift hospitality are you using it for him is your gift teaching are we using that for God is your gift singing Are we using that for him? These are things here in the church that we do. But is your gift maybe finance and management? Are we using those for the world? But are we using them for God? He gave us gifts, and all of these gifts can be used for God, right? Someone once said, the devil tempts all persons, but an idle individual tempts the devil. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 2, verses 11... The prophet writes this, he says, human pride will be brought down and human arrogance will be humbled. Only the Lord will be exalted on that day of judgment. For the Lord of heaven's armies has a day of reckoning. He will punish the proud and mighty and will bring down everything that is exalted. See, this is what John calls the pride of life and recognition. He says, not only can the temptations Be to be boastful about what we can do but there's also this temptation to keep the gifts that god has given us for ourselves would it be fair to say that god doesn't give us gifts to hoard for ourselves but rather to give back to his kingdom that's all gifts that he's given us right sometimes it might be the gift of a smile it might be a gift of listening Some of us say, well, I don't don't know what my spiritual gifts are, but I'm really good at this. Man, that's probably something that the Lord gave you to give back to Him, right? But still, after having these gifts from God, Satan likes to put another bait on that hook with temptation. Not of what we have, but rather of what we don't have. Come back with me to Matthew 4, we're in verse number 8. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. This is what John calls the craving for everything we see. It's the temptation of the eyes It's the temptation for wanting what we do not have and lacking the ability to be satisfied with what the Lord has given us with what the Lord has provided to us. Did you notice that Satan said and told to Jesus that Satan said that he would give Jesus all that Jesus could see I want to make a point I don't want to make this point very clear. You can't give somebody something unless you own it first, right? Unless you have possession of it first. And Satan is saying, Jesus, look at this entire world. I'm going to give it to you. What does that tell us about what Satan owns? Satan said he'd give Jesus all of this material glory that Jesus could see. All the kingdoms of the world. Doesn't that help us to recognize who is the ruler of this world? Satan rules this filthy world. And he likes to bait us with what we don't have and what he owns. Point number three in your notes this morning. The glory of material possessions will always be inadequate, unholy, and costly. The glory of material possessions will always be inadequate, unholy, and costly. Jesus says, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but you lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Just ask that question for a minute. Is anything worth more than your soul? Is that beautiful house on a hill worth more than your soul? In Paris, that might be a half a million dollars. Is your soul worth more than a half a million dollars? Some of us might not think so, but I guarantee you to God it does. To God, your soul is worth so much more than that. Satan doesn't give anything away for free. Sounds free. He always wants something in return for the prizes that he gives away. His gifts are always a quick return on investment. They're always instant gratification. They're always for the here and now. They're always going to leave us thirsty. They're always inadequate to fulfill our our soul's yearning for compassion. They're always unholy and separate us from God. And they will always cost you more than you want to pay and give you less than you hoped for. Maybe instead we need to add up in our lives what money can't buy and what time can't take away. James in chapter 4, in verse 1 through 4, writes this. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of this world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Matthew 6, verse 33, it says this But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Here's the application. Being content with what God has given us keeps us from asking for what Satan is offering us. Being content with what God is giving us keeps us from asking for what Satan is offering us. When we start looking at what we have and what we don't and what is being offered and we're looking at that bait and we're saying that bait's not going to hurt that bad. We've just been hooked. Just like that. I've never been fishing and caught a fish and pulled it out of the water. I've never caught a fish that liked being on a hook. I caught a fish that liked eating that food. But I never caught a fish that got out of the water, jumped in my net and said, hey, that felt good. Hook me in the lip again. Because there's payment for that bite, right? We've been reading our scripture from the book of Matthew, but I want to go to the book of Luke to finish up. Because the book of Luke, Luke gives us this one detail at the end of his editorial on this story that I think is so important. Luke chapter 4, verse 13, it says this. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Final point in your notes this morning. We will never outlive temptation, but we can overcome with the help of Jesus. We're not going to outlive it. The temptation is always going to be there. The question is, how are we going to deal with it? And there's going to be more temptation, honestly, starting today, because today we start telling Satan, no more. So, how do we go forward and make things tomorrow different than they were yesterday? Well, first we start to recognize. Did you recognize that every time that Jesus was tempted, Jesus quoted Scripture? He could quote Scripture because Jesus knew the Scriptures. And every time in the conversation between Jesus and the devil, the devil actually quoted Scripture. You know who knows Scripture really well? Satan. Yeah, he does. But you know what Satan likes to do with Scripture? He likes to twist it. He likes to take scripture and he likes to twist it like this and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to make this scripture say exactly what your ears want it to say. And he says, the Bible doesn't really say that. Let me read it to you this way. Let me take this verse out of context. Let me delete this other page. Don't read that. In the book of Psalm, in chapter 119, verse 11, the psalmist writes this, he says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Aren't we told to put the word of God in our heart? We're told to put it here, leave it here, grow it here, feed it here, right? To be ready with the word in times when we need to be strong that word of god is our life it's the it's the word that's been branded into our heart and what that means is that we need to spend time in god's word it means that we need to build up our understanding of god's word let's be honest i'm gonna we'll be 100 percent honest with you surveys say this all over america that church members in America don't read their Bibles except in church. I didn't make it up. Taking in the Word and hiding it in our heart, we do that so that we know His Word in our heart because that's essential to our growth. That's essential to know here when that temptation comes. Because let me tell you when the temptation is not going to come, it's not coming when you have your Bible ready. It's not coming when you have that verse on the tip of your tongue. It's coming when you're the furthest spot away from your Bible. It's the furthest spot away from God. That's the easiest time for Satan to find you. That's why we put our Bible right here, right? How will we know God's direction for us if we're not reading His Word? How can we ask Him for help if we're not praying? How, how can we quote Scripture to Satan in our times of troubles if we don't know our Scriptures? We will be tempted again. And now that there's a commitment, now that there's a commitment today to overcome, the temptation is going to come stronger. Satan doesn't like losing. He hates it when you pick up your Bible at home and you start listening to God. He hates it when you spend quiet time in prayer. He hates it when you come out to Thursday Bible study. He wants to tell you that you're okay without doing these things. I think it's okay today to make a commitment that Satan's going to hate us this week. Amen? I think I'm perfectly fine with Satan hating me. hate me Satan come on hate on I'm cool with that Because we're going to commit, we're committing to bringing the Bible closer in our lives, to to starting to read it more, and committing to prayer, and committing to our church body, and committing to, to being here on Thursdays, and being with our fellowship on Sundays, and committing God to our lives. When you grow in God, you're growing further away from the world. You cannot grow in Christ and grow in this world at the same time. Pick one. We have to pick one. Because you can't get more worldly and get more Christ-like at the same time. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 4, verse 15, writes this. This high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he faced all of the same testing we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There, we will receive His mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Isn't that amazing? Can't we be thankful for His mercy and His grace? Can't we be thankful that we serve a God who has walked through these fires before? If you're here this morning and you're struggling with temptations and you're not sure how to manage it, who to manage it, where to manage this, I'd love to pray with you. C.J.'s going to come up and, and play. And, and I'm going to be right down here and I would love to, to pray. And if you're here this morning and you're not sure where to start, how to be a Christian, how to come to Christ, I want to pray with you too. Because I know right now your heart is torn. I know that if you're here and you're not 100% sure if if you're going to heaven that if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior today that Satan is going to tempt you to stay in your seat and he's going to tell you that that he's going to save you that embarrassment of going forward to talk to the pastor. Jesus wants you to know that this family of God is here today and is standing with you and is ready to come around you to welcome you into the family. Your thirst comes Can be quenched with a living water that will never leave you thirsty.